This week on Myths and Legends, we'll return to the stories of Cucullin from Irish Legends, and we'll see how checking a few things off your to-do list can snowball into you facing a shadow horde of demons in fairyland. Also, you'll learn some tips for improving your marriage, which include bringing an army to watch your arguments and druid wine. The creature this week is Master Storeworm, and you'll see how, surprisingly, jamming fire down a monster's throat will defeat it. This is Myths and Legends, episode 139A, The Hound. This is a podcast where I tell stories from mythology and folklore. Some are incredibly popular stories you think you know, but with surprising origins. Others are stories that might be new to you, but are definitely worth a listen. Previously on the podcast, and I mean previously, we told the story of the cattle raid of Cooley, the Toyn, from Irish folklore. It's from episodes 22A through C, but you don't really have to listen to those to understand today's. Basically, Cúchulainn is a legendary Irish hero from the Kingdom of Ulster in the northern part of Ireland. He is super strong, virile, and just great at everything. Oh, and he can also hulk out. He married a woman by the name of Emer after killing everyone her dad put in her way, after he told Cúchulainn no. And Cúchulainn basically single-handedly ended the Toyn, a massive battle that was brought about by another king and queen arguing over who was richer. Today, we're going to jump in for a celebration. The Toyn is over, and Cúchulainn just wants to party, but he just has one quick errand he needs to finish first. I don't think you should go after those birds, honey. They look a little magical, but not like fairy tale magical where they give you wishes or something, but like the kind where they dismember you along with everyone you love. That type of fairy tale magical. There's a wide range when it comes to fairy tale creatures. Emer said to her husband, Cucullin. Cucullin fumed, his mouth flat. It was his day, his celebration for ending the war, but no. Emer and her attendants had to have the swans. And I got you the swans, Cucullin said, gesturing to a pile of dead and bloodied swans. Emer might have argued that that wasn't really what she meant, but it wasn't worth the argument. Look, there are two more swans I need to get for you and your friends. And when I do, I can go back to partying. Deal? Cucullin offered, but didn't wait for a response. Already he was running after the last two swans, who disappeared behind a rock. Leg, his charioteer, noticed his boss take off and went running after Cucullin. Emer groaned, that's, it's, whatever. Go chase after those obvious fairies. It's your funeral. Not worried about it, I can hulk out, Cucullin called back before rounding the corner. With a self-satisfied smirk, he turned around and found himself staring at two women, standing where the swan should have been. Oh, it turned out Emer was right. Cucullin was about to strike out at the dangerous fairies when one lightly touched him on the shoulder with a reed. Cucullin immediately lost all strength in his muscles and crumpled to the ground. The fairy smiled and rested the reed on the hero. They had him. That's when Leg turned the corner, sling in hand. The fairy pursed her lips. Stop, she said. Leg immediately froze. One fairy looked at the other. Can he come too? The fairy friend shrugged. Fonda didn't say. Why not? Let's go. There was a flash, and in an instant, Cucullin and Leg were no longer laying in Ireland. Well, they were, 
but it was like a different type of Ireland. A darker type. They were now in the fairy lands. Call the boat, one fairy said to the other, and the woman walked to the water's edge. The lead fairy turned back to Cucullin, who looked like he had been poured out on the ground. Never, until this day, has the monarch of the fairyland called for the help of any mortal man. But in his realm, your fame and renown are well known. The fairy king needs your help, Cucullin of Ulster. I am Libin, wife of Labra the Swift, the wielder of the sword, the king of fairyland. Sinek the Spectral has challenged him to battle with his gruesome phantom host. Will you come with us now and aid us in our quest to fight this evil and free our homeland? No. No thanks, Cucullin said immediately. Just like that? The queen spat back. Just like that. But our daughter, Fond, called you by name. Her beautiful splendor shines above all other women with noble loveliness. Cucullin shrugged. Huh, that's cool. Still no. All this is very epic and on brand for a war in fairyland, though. Good stuff. Well, can I ask why not? The queen asked. By now the other fairy had returned. The boat was here. Why would I want to? Cucullin scoffed. It sounds super dangerous and not fun. And, by the way, you just kidnapped me from a party and knocked me out with a reed. Also, and this is with all due respect, I would never do battle on the asking of a woman. Oh, whoa, whoa. That's a little misogynistic, the queen replied. Cucullin gestured to the world around them. Yeah, I mean, mythology. But whatever. I won't go. But Leg here, he will. If it seems as dire as you say it is, then he'll return and tell me all about it. And then I might consider it. Oh, but you should probably unfreeze him, though. The queen rolled her eyes, and Leg caught himself before he dropped to the ground. Come on, then, she said to Leg. The boat's here. I'll bring you safely back. Leg shook his head. Being under a woman's guard, being told where to go by a woman, he didn't like that. Cucullin groaned. Just go and see what they want, he told his chariot driver. I command it, if that makes it any better. Leg nodded. Yeah, yeah, it kind of did. Oh, hey, little help? Cucullin cried out before they pushed away from the shore. Libin smiled and walked over. Oh, he wanted her to take the reeds that sapped his strength? He nodded. Yes, yes, he would very much like that. Please do that. Libin smirked as she took the reed. Bye. The moment the reeds disappeared, Cucullin found himself back in his version of Ireland. His lone chariot was no longer there as he'd left it. Instead, a whole team of Ulster's warriors was out looking for their champion. Cucullin called out to them, and they rushed over. Without delay, they scooped up their champion and took him back to Ulster. <laughs> Cucullin lay in bed, in the weapons room, as the horns announced the return of Leg outside. He made his way straight to Cucullin's chambers and knocked on the door. Cucullin yelled for him to enter, and Leg burst into the room. What was their great champion, Cucullin, doing in bed? No matter, there was news from Fairyland, and it was grim. Also, when did Cucullin grow a beard? From his bed, Cucullin nodded. Yep, did Leg have any idea how long he'd been gone? Leg shook his head. Day and a night? Maybe two days, tops? A year, Gukulin cut in, struggling to sit up straight. 
Wait, and you're still recovering from their magic? Leg asked, his eyes wide. Kukulin nodded. Yep. Apparently they aren't familiar with how time works or how strong to make their magic because he'd been bedridden for an entire year. He was just able to go to the bathroom on his own two weeks ago, so this had all been real fun. No, they knew how long it would take. A voice boomed from behind Leg. Both men turned and saw a shining, floating form. Leg drew his sword. Don't, Kukulin said. It was Angus, the god of health. What can we do for you? The god of health said Fairyland needed him, and King Labra the Swift expected him on the following evening. If Kukulin accepted, he would be healed and restored to the strength he possessed a year ago, but he would have to leave tonight. A demon host gathered on the Plains of Happiness and threatened to make the name of the Plains of Happiness wildly irrelevant. Kukulin sighed. Yes, yeah, he'd do it. He'd go. With a smile and a flash, Angus was gone. And, for the first time in a year, Kukulin stepped out of bed. He flexed his fingers and grabbed a sword from the wall, swinging side to side. He was back. And he was leaving. He would go alone, he told Leg. And after a quick hi-bye to his wife, he rode out for the lake. When he arrived, he saw Libin there, already waiting for him by a boat. As soon as he boarded, he was no longer in Ireland once again, but in the fairy realms. And that is how it's done, Gukulin said, pumping his fist upon his return to the awestruck fairy camp as he was covered in demon blood. It was over, and Kukulin beamed. He wasn't even mad about the year spent in bed. It was kind of fun getting back into the swing of things, and by a swing of things, he meant swinging some axes and annihilating countless demons. Just a few hours ago, Kukulin had told the king and his army that they could sit this one out, that he had this one in the bag, as Senek the Spectral and his demon host thundered toward him. With the wave of his hand earlier that day, he turned down a parade, and all the honors of being a visiting champion. He was just here to fight, and staring out at the growing shadow army approaching him, he dismissed everyone who wasn't named Kukulin. King Labra dared to look out. Uh, did their hero know that it was a whole army of ringwraith-looking guys riding shadow horses with manes of fire? Did he know how they turned the air around them to gloom, and, with the setting sun multiplied by the second? Yes, and I got this. You can go home and eat grapes while being fanned or whatever it is fairy kings do. You wanted the best? You got the best. Now go take a seat and enjoy the show, Kukulin insisted, pulling out his Gaibolga. It said that in that moment, Kukulin's radiance grew so spectacular and bright that the demons that didn't make it to his spear point evaporated, quote, like morning fog when it hits the sunlight. It's also said that Kukulin's body was so hot that someone had to douse him with water just to cool him down and everyone in the kingdom and all of Fairyland became wary. They had heard of Kukulin's legendary warp spasms, how he completely hulked out and lost all sense of friend or foe momentarily, becoming an unparalleled source of destruction. But when the steam cleared on cooled Cullen, yes, I still do dad jokes, thanks for asking, they could see that he was just the guy they recruited from Ireland. Everyone breathed a sigh of relief. It was after Kukulin dressed that he learned that someone from the royal family requested an audience with him. It was Fond, the princess who had asked for him by name when the fighting first broke out. As the light reflected off the grand golden walls of the room, the gemstone pillars, shimmering clothes, and jewel-encrusted golden pillow, which frankly kind of defeated the purpose of it being a pillow, Gukulin looked upon Fond for the first time. 
and he knew that he had never seen a woman half as beautiful as her. That's when, with a smile, she rested her hand on his. Now, I don't know if it was some magical fairy power, or if it was Fawn's beauty, but the moment she touched his hand, he felt as if he had just woken up for the first time. His life back in Ireland, the one with his wife, where he was a living legend, now felt like a dream to this new reality of the fairy world. His past life half-remembered and quickly fading. Slowly, the Ireland he once knew, and Earth for that matter, began to seem like a dark land full of violence and strife. A primitive and backward place compared to the beauty of fairyland. But it wouldn't last. As days passed in the weeks, Cuchulain began to have dreams. Flashes of a woman's face, Emer's, of a man's, his old friend Fergus, of home. He started to remember home. One night, Fawn noticed him sitting up in bed. She tried to comfort him, but he knew. He knew that he had been gone from home for far too long. Like Fairyland, they needed his help too. Besides, everything just felt out of place. Fawn nodded. She knew this day would come eventually, and he did have a life and a family in Ireland. When he went back, it would be as if only a few days had passed. But Fawn didn't want to say goodbye. In a year's time for his world, she wanted to see him again. She would be by the strand of the yew tree, waiting for him. One year from today, Fawn leaned over to kiss him, and he closed his eyes. When he opened them, he was sitting up, by the lake where he had left in Ireland. Alone, he picked up his spear, and his clothes had been transported by his side, and he began making his way home. The grinding stone was hot with use. Emer had been working for months. One of the women had overheard Cucullin telling Leg, and they brought the news to Emer. And so she'd waited one afternoon in the next room, while Leg and her husband played a game of chess in the main room. Emer heard everything. Cucullin, for the few days he was away, had had an affair with a princess in Fairyland. From what Emer could piece together, she was the wife of some god of the sea, but he had left her. She was beautiful, though. Cucullin had strayed before, but never with a fairy princess. Never with someone who seemed to capture his heart like Fond. It was obvious, in retrospect, that Cucullin was thinking about her when he looked out wistfully on the water. Fond was why he'd been so distant from Emer. And now, Fond was going to die. If she could die, that was. Emer wasn't exactly sure, but she'd been working on a knife. A knife that was so sharp that it would cut you no matter how lightly you touched it. And she intended to find out. 364 days since he returned, Cucullin announced that he was traveling the next day. And that he'd be gone for about a week or so. With a smile as forced as her kind words, Emer bid her husband goodbye. Stay safe on the road. She would see him when he returned. As soon as the door closed, Emer removed the floorboard and found her pack, cloak, and knife. She left out the back and tracked her husband through the town and out to the moors. As she walked, she knocked on doors throughout town. In minutes, a group of women followed her, all holding knives they had been sharpening. All were seeking the blood of a woman who had seduced Emer's husband. It was nearly a day of hiking, but Emer came prepared. She and her murder posse remained always just out of view of Cucullin, made no fire that night, and barely slept. 
Early the following day, he arose and set out. Arriving at the strand of the yew tree before noon, Emer slowly and silently worked her way forward, knife in hand, until she hid within striking distance. Now, all she had to do was wait. She didn't have long, though, before she heard footsteps in the leaves. She dared a peek, and she saw them kiss. Emer gripped the knife when she saw how Fawn glowed with radiant, otherworldly beauty. And then, she saw something else. Fawn looked at Kukulin, and Kukulin looked at Fawn with the same look. It was the look that Emer and Kukulin had shared a long time ago. The one that led to Kukulin killing an entire fort's worth of men, just for her hand. And it was a look that Emer hadn't seen in years. They were in love, holding the knife. She knew what she had to do. Kukulin and Fawn heard a thud nearby, and they turned with a start. They saw Emer standing there next to a knife sticking out of a tree, tears welling up in her eyes. Kukulin sighed. He had never wanted to hurt Emer, and he certainly didn't want her to see him like this. But now, there was nothing to hide. Emer asked if he loved Fond. Kukulin nodded. Yes. Yes, he did. And you? she asked, turning to Fond. The woman nodded as well. Emer gritted her teeth and stood up straight. It wasn't a good way. It wasn't the right way. But they deserved a chance at love. And Emer deserved a chance. They didn't have to hide it anymore. And Kukulin wouldn't have to leave Emer for a fairyland princess. Because she was leaving Kukulin. Kukulin nodded. But Fawn stepped forward. She was touched by this wife's love for her husband. That she wanted the best for him even if it meant being abandoned for a far more beautiful and eternally youthful fairy princess. Well, Emer held up a finger. First, she was abandoning him. And second, Fawn couched like six insults into that fairly backhanded statement. But yeah, wanting the best for the other person, even if it hurt, was part of love. Fawn agreed. That was why she was leaving. If a wife loved her husband so much then who was she to stand in the way of that? Emer held up both hands to stop Fond. Really, though, Emer insisted that she and Kukulin had been unhappy for a long time. It, this was really okay. Painful, yes, but they'd be better for it. Wide-eyed, Kukulin agreed. Fond looked to the forest. Yeah, that wasn't really, that wasn't the point of what was happening here. Just, just play along, okay? Emer looked at Kukulin who was just as confused as her, when, with a flash and a crash, another visitor came from Fairyland. In all of his glory, Mananem Maclear, the son of the sea, appeared there in the clearing. Fawn clung to Kukulin's side. Oh no! What was her husband doing here? She was here in a tryst with her lover. Wait, Kukulin began, his eyes widening, as Mananem glared down at this mortal, whose reputation preceded him. So this was the type of guy she was into, huh? The muscly, mortal hero type? Fawn shrugged and looked off into the distance. What did it matter? He left her. Or had he forgotten? Why did he care who she spent all night long with? Mananin exhaled sharply with a huff. Okay, he did care, alright? He was here. He left, yeah. But the stories of her and Kukulin, and her with all the other guys, it just got to him. Wait, other guys? Kukulin asked. 
but no one really answered. Mananan continued. It tore him up inside. He wanted her back. He said if she came back, it would be different. That was all Fawn needed to hear. She pushed Kukulin away and ran to her estranged husband's arms. Kukulin stood there, confused. But Emer wasn't. She wiped a tear from her eye. This, this was them. This was her and Kukulin. If this couple could work it out, maybe they could too. After they stopped kissing, Fawn turned to Kukulin and Emer. What were they going to do about these two? Mananan laughed. If Fawn wanted to head home, he would take care of them. In a flash, Fawn was gone. And as the son of the sea approached, Kukulin reached for a spear. Mananan laughed. Oh, he wouldn't need that. Mananan was going to do the whole jealous husband thing, where he told Kukulin to never speak to his wife again. But then he remembered that he was a god of the sea. And with one shake of his cloak, the mists of the god of the sea would forever separate Kukulin and Fond. They would never see each other again. He struck his cloak, and mist filled the clearing. It was finished. With a glare, Kukulin shook his head. No. Three bounds from his very powerful legs later, and Kukulin was beyond the horizon. Menanan rolled his eyes, and with a flash, he too was gone, leaving Emer and her troop of murder women alone in the clearing. Emer sighed. Okay, they were all going to head back to the city of Emen Maka. She had a plan. Cut to three weeks later, and we find Emer approaching the mountain holdout of her husband. He had killed the first three scouting groups, sent to talk him into coming home, and after King Krahur called in the cavalry, Emer was the last, best hope. Gukulin's face softened a bit at the sight of his wife, and he allowed a slight nod. She could approach. She said she understood he was sad but she had something for him. Something that would take it all away. It was crafted by the druids, and it would remove all memory of Fond. For both of them, they would wake up here in the mountains, in each other's arms, and they could start again. Kukulin was on the verge of tears as he looked into his wife's eyes. He was sorry for everything he had done to her. They would grow past this, and they would be better for this. And when they woke up, things would be different. Emer took in her husband's face. Yes, she said, handing him the goblet. And both raised the cups. As soon as the potion touched their lips, everything went dark. Emer woke up on the ground, huddled next to her husband. What? Ew, camping? She hated camping. She listened to the snoring idiot who was spooning her before elbowing him in the ribs. Why were they out here? Kukulin grimaced and looked around. He didn't know. He didn't get to do anything he wanted to do, so this must be because of her. She stood, wrapping her cloak around her. Oh yeah, right. So she, the woman who hates camping, wakes up outside with the guy who loves camping. But no! It was her fault that they were here. Kukulin rolled his eyes. He didn't say it was anyone's fault. Also, why was there an army surrounding them with trembling druids at the head? Emer looked. There was an army. Kukulin's army, the Ulster army. They were bloody, with their spears pointed inward at the couple. There were a couple of druids at the front, one of them looking to Emer. Did it take? Did it work? 
With Emer's confused look back, he nodded and tossed out the rest of the wine in the grass. He breathed and turned around. Okay, guys, it worked. He's our Kukulin again. Kukulin rose to meet King Krahur. What was going on? Krahur smiled and shook his head. It was no big deal, best warrior in the world. All over now, don't worry about it. He never does, Emer muttered as she walked past the king and the army. Ugh. Some days, she just hated Kukulin so much. So that was a fun, weird little story. We're going to tie together three stories over the course of two episodes. And the beginning of the next story has Kukulin immediately cheating on his wife again. These stories come to us fragmented and from multiple sources. So it's fun, but we shouldn't be surprised by the loose continuity. It's like each one is a self-contained sitcom episode. It's like Seinfeld, but with way more murder and cattle theft. Anyway, we go back to another story now that picks up a few years later, when the army of Ulster has just finished sacking the fort on the Isle of Man. The fort was burning all around them, and yet warriors were walking among the cattle. They'd sailed to the Isle of Man that morning, and by late afternoon, they were piling the dead in the courtyard. Kukulin didn't know the reason that Ulster was attacking the Isle of Man, but it was a chance for glory and spoils of war, and he obviously couldn't pass on either of those. Besides, this was where Blathnat lived. Now, Kukulin had many, many trysts, but for some reason, this one with Blathnat stuck in his mind. When he heard the Ulstermen were heading to raid the Isle of Man, he knew he had to be there. She wouldn't be hurt, of course. She was too valuable to be hurt. But he also cared about her and wanted to make sure that when she was a spoil of war, she was treated well. And by that, he meant that she would be his spoil of war. Kukulin brushed past the cows in the courtyard and the Ulstermen arguing over said cows and spotted someone behind the barrels. He smiled. It was her. He glanced this way and that among the victorious raiders. Good. No one had seen her yet. Kukulin was the greatest of the warriors. After all, he'd ended the cattle raid of Cooley, so he could take whatever spoils he wanted. Still, it would be better to not have to deal with others. If he saw her first, he could claim her first. And that would be that. He caught her smile. He hadn't seen that smile since their night together. Just the look of it. At that moment, Kukulin felt a hand grip his shoulder and shove him out of the way, just as a man in a gray mantle, a whole head taller than him, mind you, sauntered past. Kukulin was about to ask if this man knew who Kukulin was, but the man had already found Blathnet. He tossed some barrels to the side and scooped up the princess, shoving her under his arm. She screamed and kicked, but this particular warrior had almost taken down the door to the fortress with his bare hands. He was incredibly strong, and she couldn't move. She couldn't, but Kukulin could. He turned toward the man, already leaving, and demanded that he put her down. The stranger exhaled, the gray hood pausing before the figure turned around. With the hand that wasn't subduing an angry princess, he lowered his covering. It was Kuroi. Kukulin froze. Oh no. 
Cuchulain raised its hands in the air to block the incoming blow. And that was probably the only thing that kept the king from shattering his collarbone. Cuchulain's hands caught Kuroi's, but the punch still connected. It was like being hit by a boulder. When Cuchulain came to his senses, he found himself driven into the earth up to his armpits. He looked around, tried to find the right angle to pull himself out, but he saw that Kuroi was coming back. Kukulin only had enough time to wince at the sight of Kuroi's fists coming toward his face, realizing at the final moment that Kuroi was not going to hit him. No, within seconds, Kukulin felt what actually hit him, and then he really wished that Kuroi had punched him in the face. Kuroi had picked up some of the nearby cow pies, still hot, still steaming, and smeared them all over Kukulin's head. He made sure to get everywhere too. The hair, the ears, the nostrils. Kukulin barely kept his mouth shut, though he tried to protest, lest the dung end up there as well. With a laugh, Kuroi shook the droppings from his hand and replaced the hood on his head. He invited everyone to see and smell their, well, formerly best warrior. Anyone who tried to stop him from leaving with Blathnat would get worse. Instantly, the men parted and Kuroi led a couple of cows out with his free hand, all while Blathnack kicked beneath his arm. As Kuroi disappeared around the corner, all eyes turned to Kukulin. No one said a word. At last, one man dared to hold out a helping hand, but Kukulin roared and waved everyone away. He didn't need any help. In short order, after he had finally dug himself up from the ground, washed his face multiple times, and talked to absolutely no one, Kukulin left the fortress, storming down the same path that Kuroi had trod, not 30 minutes before. We're actually going to leave it there for this week, because once we start down this path, there's no stopping till we end it. And we'll wrap up this round of Kukulin stories next week. And he'll show that when you're as awesome as he is, you don't really have to learn from your mistakes or, you know, be careful or think about things at all. I would like to say thanks to QDog808, B3Hey, Dragon Ninja Super Viking, SF Ron, Willie Ortiz, Dwensloff, The Ryru Hunter, McMaste, Gander the Grey, Stirfried, Jim and Oz, Komishan, Berg1231, Gentles, and Mr. Matty B for the reviews and Apple Podcasts. Thank you so much for taking the time to review the podcast. And if you'd like to leave a review, Apple Podcasts is still the best place. You can find the show there at apple.mythpodcast.com. There's also a membership thing on the site. For less than the price of a handful of actual human teeth on Etsy, yeah, I don't know either, you can get extra episodes, source pack ebooks, and ad-free versions of the show that are not human teeth. I'm not sure what you'd want those for, and I don't want to know what you want those for. Check out support.mythpodcast.com for more info on the membership. The creature this week is Master Storeworm from Orcadian folklore. It's from the Orkney Islands in Scotland. Once upon a time, there was a massive dragon that lived in the sea. Its body was thousands of miles long, and, well, it was hungry. It demanded a snack of seven virgins a week from the people of mainland Scotland, and unless they wanted a dragon whose teeth alone were bigger than any of their castles coming down hard on them, they had to give the sacrifice. And they did. Also, they were really unlucky with so steep a price. As we've seen on this podcast, 
most folklore dragons only need like one virgin a month or one virgin a year. Anyway, the kingdom begrudgingly paid with its blood until the time came for the king to give his own daughter, a woman by the name of Jem de Lovely. And then things had to change. Figuring he would lose it all anyway, he offered your standard fairy tale package to the hero who killed the dragon. His daughter's hand, the throne when he died, and a magic sword. 36 guys came, and 36 guys went. Finally, a young man by the name of either Jamie or Assy Paddle, the youngest son of a farmer, came. Probably thinking that being the despised youngest son of a farmer in early medieval Scotland, who possesses the name Assy Paddle, is probably not that much better than Death by Dragon. Master Storeworm apparently didn't consider a small one-man fighter to be any threat, or he'd have a tighter defense, because Assy Paddle was able to row up into his mouth and then down his throat while he yawned. Holding a pile of burning peat, Assy Paddle jammed the fire on Master Storeworm's liver, setting it ablaze. Master Storeworm vomited him up right away, and just in time, because he looked to the sky and roared. Since the dragon filled the sky, the people of Scotland understandably assumed that Ragnarok was upon them, but they were pleasantly surprised to see that the dragon was just flinging his teeth out into the sea and then crawling off to die. The teeth became the Orkney Islands themselves, and part of the dragon's body became Iceland. Assy Paddle married Jem de Lovely, became king, and took possession of the magic sword, named Sickersnapper, which, as far as magic sword names go, is both unexpected and kind of awesome. As a little footnote to this, the magic sword was one given to the family by Odin a long time ago, which, if you're familiar with the Volsungs, or, you know, any story in which Odin gives someone a sword, it's less a gift and more of a bad luck ticking time bomb. So, good luck, Assy Paddle. That's it for this week. Myths and Legends is by Jason and Carissa Weiser. Our theme song is by the band Broke for Free, and the Creature of the Week music is by Steve Combs. There are links to even more music in the show notes. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll see you next time. <laughs>